Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life, and came to Beersheba, where, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went to the strength of that food, forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went and stood out at the entrance of the cave. Then there came to a voice that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go. Return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel as king over Aram. And you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshah, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, of Abimelah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. 
Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. I always thought today's sermon would be a challenge. Today is Consecration Sunday, and Tuesday is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. And I thought it's going to be a challenge to tie those two together. I can't wait to see what text the narrative lectionary gives me. And then it gives me this text that seems to have nothing to do with stewardship and nothing to do with the Reformation. It's like I had three different plugs and none of them matched. And it's disappointing because I have always loved this passage about Elisha. I love that he is on the run. If you remember last week we talked about King Solomon and I said he was the last great king of Israel. After he was king, Israel and Judah fell into warring factions. And this passage takes place when King Ahab was king. And King Ahab married Jezebel, who we all all have heard of in one form or another. And she worshipped Baal, a foreign god, and brought the worship of Baal into Israel. And the Israelites fell into worshipping Baal. And this passage follows immediately after many of the Israel uh, prophets have been killed. And Elijah is the only one standing. And he faces off against 450 priests of Baal. And he says, well, let's have a prophet off. That's not the word he uses. That's just how I picture it in my head. And they both build altars. And Elijah says, well, if Baal is the true God, then call down fire on your altar. And they try three times and nothing happens. And then Elijah places his sacrifice on the altar. He calls down fire and fire comes down. Proving that he is the prophet of the true God. He then leads the priest down by the riverside and kills them all. Didn't see that coming. When Jezebel hears about this, she is irate and she tells Ahab and she says, I tell what will happen tomorrow, by tomorrow to Elijah, he will be the same as one of the dead prophets or may worse happen to me. So Elijah gets out of Dodge. He takes off. He goes into the wilderness. He lays down under a tree and says, Lord, let me die here. Your killing will be more merciful than what Jezebel and Ahab will do to me. He lays down to sleep. And an angel wakes him up and says, here is bread and drink. Elijah says, thanks, and goes back to sleep. And the angel wakes him up again and says, eat, drink. You will need this for your journey. And so Elijah travels 40 days to Mount Horeb. And he holds up in a cave there. And God speaks to him and says, what are you doing here? Go to the mouth of the cave for I am about to pass by. And then a mighty wind blows. The scripture describes it as a wind so strong that it cracks mountains. But God was not in the wind. And then an earthquake shakes the mountain that Elijah is standing on, but God was not in the earthquake. And then a huge fire roars, but God was not 
in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. And that is where Elijah hears God passing by. That is when Elijah puts on his mantle and goes back to the mouth of the cave and begins his conversation with God. I was tempted to make a joke about how God has nothing to do with earth, wind, and fire and a call back to the band, but it's in the silence that Elijah senses God's presence. And I think that's so important for us to remember. You might not know this about me, but when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I worked as a DJ for a college radio station. And the primal sin that a DJ can have on the radio is dead air. Silence. Because if someone's in their car flipping channels and they stop at a radio station and there's no noise, they're going to assume there's no radio station and keep going. We are uncomfortable with silence. We don't like silence. We want to fill that void. Have you ever been out with someone or in a car with someone and you just run out of things to talk to and there's silence? And if you've known that person a long time, that could be a comfortable with silence, but more often it'll be uncomfortable and you'll force yourself to find something to talk about. You'll just start talking, running off at the mouth. That's usually when I get myself in trouble, when I talk without thinking. We are so busy in our lives. Whether we're working, retired, in school, no matter what stage of life we're on. If you ask anyone, how are you doing? The answer used to be okay, but now the answer is I'm busy. I'm busy. We have everything planned. Heather and I sat down yesterday and we looked at the coming weeks and months and we're like, all right, in one week we got this, in two weeks we got this, in three weeks we got this, and that's Thanksgiving, then this, then this, then Christmas, and then uh, I'm in Louisville for two weeks and, and it's February. And we just don't know what's going on then because we're afraid to plot out that far ahead. In our society, we go nonstop. And we don't stop. And be silent. We're so busy that we let the silence escape our lives. When I was in seminary, I did an internship for two years at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Louisville. Uh, Reverend Tom Vandergriff was the pastor I worked under. He remains a dear friend and a mentor to this day. And I remember one of his biggest critiques about my leading worship was when it comes time for prayers of the people, when it comes time for moments of silence, I want to rush through them. That I was too uncomfortable with the silence, that I wouldn't allow the congregation or myself to be silent for that long. But it's in the silence that we hear God. So we're going to be silent now for a moment and listen for where God is speaking.
don't know about you, but I was screaming inside half that time. I was wanting to start talking. When I was talking about this sermon with Heather, she goes, you should think of a song or something that you sing in your head to force yourself to be silent. The silence is uncomfortable. That's where we hear God sometimes. As I mentioned, Tuesday is the 500th anniversary of when Martin Luther supposedly took his 95 thesis and nailed it to the door of that church in Wittenberg, Germany. When he spoke out against indulgences and some of the practices of the Catholic Church. Now there has been doubt and questions if he actually nailed his uh, thesis to the church door but it's no doubt that he spread his thesis far and wide that by the next year it had been it spread throughout Europe. And the Reformation, which both the Presbyterian Church and the United Church of Christ come, started. And there are many important ideas that come from the Reformation that we take for granted. Sola Scriptura, that, that Scripture is the highest place. Sola Fide, that it's by faith that we're saved, faith in Christ. Uh, sola, um, I'm forgetting my Latin, but it's through grace alone that we're saved, that, that God alone, it, we're to give the glory, that Christ alone is our Savior. The scripture readings today were read to you in English. That comes from the Reformation. Before that, it was only read in Latin, and only the priests knew how to speak Latin. Can you imagine going to church and hearing the scriptures read and not understanding a word of what they, not understanding even the language in which they were spoken, and then having the priest give a sermon on them and just taking his word on it? But one of my favorite elements of the Reformation is always reformed, always reforming. The idea that we're always reformed, that we're always a church reformed by God. And that we're always reforming that the church is not finished. That God continues to be at work in us. As much as I love that phrase, it's really mistranslated. It should say always reformed, always being reformed. And I think that's important because we're always being reformed by the Holy Spirit. 500 years later after the Reformation, the Holy Spirit is still working on us and in us. We are still a church that is being reformed. God still has God's hand on us, shaping us and transforming us. So let us take silence and think, how is God reforming the United Parish of Bowie? How is the Holy Spirit at work?
Today is Consecration Sunday. And Consecration Sunday is known by different names in different churches. It's also known as Celebration Sunday because we celebrate the gifts that God has given us. It's Dedication Sunday because we dedicate ourselves anew to God. Later, we'll be turning in our pledge cards and we'll be pledging what we want to donate or give to the church in 2018. And I I like pledge cards. I think pledging is important. But I wish and I've struggled with a way to to make them more inclusive so we could talk about what we dedicate as far as our talents, our times, our ideas, our energy, our imagination. Because all of that goes into making this church the body of Christ. All of that goes into helping this church be a light in the darkness to be the outreach of Christ to this community and this world. It's important that we have money because we have bills to pay. We enjoy complaining about if it's too hot or too cold, but having the option to make it too hot or too cold. We enjoy having, well, we might not enjoy, but we have insurance in case something happens. We have programs such as the Mars Hill mission trip, such as seeds, such as uh, the art and music camps, such as choir music, such as special musicians. We have plates and silverware for the wonderful potlucks and meals we have. We have bills to pay. But money alone does not make a church. Money is a means to an end. The church wouldn't be the church without all of you, without your time, your energy, your talents, your imagination. God is at work In our church. The Holy Spirit is forming. And reforming us. So let's take a moment of silence. And listen for God. Calling us. Speaking to us. Whispering to us about how. God wants to use us in the coming year. About what gifts we have to give. I have a stack of books about this big that I have to read by January when I begin my doctorate work. They sent out the list and it was three pages long and I cringed a little bit. And the first one I'm reading is called Blink, How to Think Without Thinking. It's how to act on your first impulses, how to harness your intuitiveness. 
and I'm not very far into it, but it's fascinating about how many times studies have shown that our intuitiveness is right so often. I held up three different examples in just the first two chapters. Today is Consecration Sunday. Tuesday is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Today's scripture is Elijah on the mountain witnessing earth, wind, and fire and hearing God in the silence. And I had no idea how to tie all those together until I was silent and stopped trying to force it and stopped thinking and listened for God. Amen.